Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome back guys. Today I'm joined by Kimberly Kelly, who is a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist practicing in New York City. For the past 15 years, Kimberly has focused on women's health and fertility and has also used Chinese medicine to help an array of health issues from headaches and digestive disorders to anxiety, insomnia and pain conditions. She loves that Chinese medicine treats everyone as a unique person and can tailor treatment plans to all aspects of the individual. When she's not studying or practicing, you can find her riding her bike on the trails or under a shady tree in nature listening to podcasts. So in this episode, we're going to discuss about acupuncture, what exactly it is, how it works, the difference between more holistic or Chinese medicine acupuncture versus the more medical based ones that are used in doctor's offices these days, the five elements of Chinese medicine and signs of imbalance, how Kimberly would approach certain women's health conditions like infertility, amenorrhea, PMS, irregular cycles, PCOS, the terms yin, yang and qi or qi, what she means by these and why you should be aware of them, the Chinese medicine approach to nutrition and why cold foods may not be the best for your health and we finish on a few tongue, nail, facial diagnosis that can indicate imbalances so I did this a few episodes ago now on an episode called The Physical Signs of Imbalances with your tongue, face and nails, I think it was called. I'll link it in the episode show notes, but your tongue, nails and skin and face can really indicate issues going on internally because it's just a reflection of your internal health, which is very interesting. And I really love recording with Kimberly and any, I know that next time I'm going to be in New York, I'm definitely going to her clinic room because she's really knowledgeable about all of this stuff and I love how holistic she is. So I really think you're going to get a lot out of this episode, whether you have active hormone imbalances or whether you're just preventing some of those from happening. So let's dive into the episode now with Kimberly Kelly. Hi Kimberly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. I was just saying that I heard you on a podcast a couple of weeks ago talking all about Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and I was like, I have to have Kimberly on my podcast because we haven't yet gone into this these subjects in much detail. We've mentioned things here and there, and I've talked a bit about the naturopathic diagnosis, like looking at your tongue, looking at your nails, because I'm kind of trained in that, but we'll hopefully cover some of those subjects today. But could you first start off by telling us a bit about how you got into the world of Chinese medicine, acupuncture, was it for your own health journey or just an interest? Yeah, it actually did start out because I was having a problem with some pain in the body when I was finishing up college. I lived in Northern California at the time, and so it's very popular up there, and it has been for some decades. So I was still quite young, and I ended up seeing an acupuncturist at my friend's recommendation, and I was just really impressed with the process of it. You know, I thought, you know, I just had this pain to get sorted, and she was having a whole conversation with me about lifestyle and diet and emotions and all these other things that, you know, at first glance, I didn't seem to think would be related, but, um, but she patched up my pain very quickly with just maybe two sessions or so the pain was gone. It never returned. So I I was very impressed with that result. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting way to solve a problem. And it just, it planted a seed that sort of grew over the coming years. Amazing. And yeah, it's it's more of a thing in the U S I think than the UK, but I think elsewhere in the US and um, in the UK and other places, it's becoming more popular. Um, Holistic health and natural medicine, I think because people aren't really feeling like they're getting anywhere with conventional doctors and there is a time and a place for medication, but I see that being more of an acute acute care place where you get hit by a car, you want to get right to the A&E, you don't want to go to an acupuncturist at at that moment, but there's 
the chronic illnesses and the more lifestyle based things that can really benefit from preventative medicine as well so maybe you don't have any diseases going on but you want to actively try and reduce the risk of those in the future and just overall maintenance of your health so Mm -hmm. i i love acupuncture and those things for that but starting with acupuncture we'll get into the chinese medicine side of things and nutrition Mm -hmm. and all that but what exactly is acupuncture i think people have heard of it but a lot of people are put off by it because they hear there's needles involved and sticking things in your skin so what exactly is it just a basic level yeah yeah and it it is you know sometimes people hear needle and they get very frightened it's nothing like a hypodermic needle it's nothing like getting a shot like what people remember from their childhood um vaccinations and whatnot it's uh the the needles that are used are very 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 thin as thin as a hair and just as flexible they actually move with you they move with your body there's lots of space in the body it's relatively painless um you know you might feel you might feel the sensation of the needle going in like a like a bug bite or a quick pinch sometimes you don't feel anything at all we have certain techniques we employ to make the insertion you know to distract the skin from the insertion so so you don't feel it and then once the needles are in they will um, the connective tissues of the body actually interact with the needles the needles are made of metal and of course our bodies are conduits and so we can be influencing the messaging that's happening through the nervous system with the with the metallic needles and that's essentially how it works in a western perspective is we're we're influencing the nervous system and all the connective tissues that travel through and the nerves nerve signals that travel through we can influence all of them which um, you know of course traveling up to the brain and then from the brain back down to any of the systems, which is why it's such a widely applicable medicine. It really, you can influence cardiovascular, respiratory, digestive, endocrine, as we see in the uh, case of women's health. Um, Virtually all aspects of the body can be influenced. And um, so it makes it really universal and widely applicable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like just lying on a bed for 30 to 40 minutes is going to reduce stress but it does have some um, physical and physiological benefits too and people release you're getting a nervous system reset all of these things are happening during the course of the you know half hour so they have your needles in Um, and so people feel very deeply deeply rested and rejuvenated um, as though they had been asleep for a long time whether or not they fall asleep or not they just wake up or, or come out of it feeling just like they've been in a meditative state or a very deep rest. Definitely. And I've felt that myself. I feel like I'm walking on a cloud afterwards. I'm so zen for the rest of the day. Um, I really need to get back into it. Just speaking <laughs> to you, that's really sold me. I need to be, be more regular with my sessions. Um, and science-wise, I know that some medical practitioners utilize it maybe in less of a holistic way. They'll you're going for a shoulder pain, they'll stick a needle in you and then just kind of carry on talking and not really talk about how it's affecting the body, but they know that it works somehow. Yes. What's the difference between how you practice versus how Western medical uh, practitioners use acupuncture? Sure, yes. And so if you're trained in Chinese medicine and you're learning, um, there are many different styles. First of all, you might learn Japanese style, Chinese, Korean. Um, there are distal, like balance method styles. There are local styles. There are, uh, there are you know, very Western orthopedic styles. And they all have their usefulness. Um, when things started to shift away from classical medicine was during the time of the Cultural Revolution in China. And they were sort of also trying to um, systematized the medicine. And so it had been sort of a linearly based uh, teaching up until that point. And so you truly were learning from the classical texts that have been around for thousands of years that really understood the meridian system. They understood the organ systems. They understood how they all related to each other. Um, and so if you have that training, then you have infinite possibilities in terms of how to treat someone. If they are coming in for shoulder pain, you understand where the meridians uh, follow, you know, it's almost like a, a, a blood vessel system. If you're picturing a blood vessel system, there's a meridian system that also sort of traverses the body like a highway system. And they're related to each other. They can affect one another. Things on the right can affect things on the left. Things from up above can affect down below. And the way that the channels and the organ systems balance each other um, is really key to understanding how you can correct an imbalance if you see it. Um, what happened during that time when they were attempting to systematize the medicine, they were also trying to quote unquote modernize the medicine because they thought, you know, out with the old, in with the new, 
and they developed a new, it's sort of like a grid system of acupuncture, putting, laying a grid over the body and just saying, you know, well, you know, if there's a pain in the shoulder, you can put a bunch of needles in the shoulder, blast it with some e-stem, which is an electrical current that's used a lot in um, that style of acupuncture. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes it works. Often it can work. You know, it can, it can it's not totally ineffective. Um, it's not quite as elegant as, as a Chinese medicine or a classical medicine approach. And I'd say the main, um, the main issue with it will be if you do put the needles in the shoulder and the shoulder doesn't respond, either gets worse or simply doesn't get better, then they don't really have anywhere to go from there. They're like, well, that's where the pain is. That's where I put the needles. It didn't work, so I guess it doesn't work. Whereas somebody with classical training can say, oh, well, these, this area is influenced over here. You can balance it with this meridian. And, and they can just backtrack a little bit and take a different avenue because there are almost infinite avenues to take when you understand the system as a whole. Um, and so I just think there's a lot more um, flexibility. And so you can get a more dynamic and comprehensive approach that just gets better results, I think, in general. Yeah, so for anyone's listening who's maybe had a negative experience or didn't find benefit, don't be put off by that and go and find someone else who's trained in more of the holistic or TCM version of acupuncture because you could get a different result. And I remember when I went for my amenorrhea and due to PCOS and I had a lot of gut issues at the time, I um, he kind of asked me to roll up my top a little bit and I was like, oh, he's going to put a lot in my abdomen area. And I had, think I had like one one near my navel and then the rest were on my legs and mm -hmm. my feet and I was like what the hell I've come for my periods like how's that going to help but he's like trust me this yeah. is what I need to do which is crazy to think and I think people have heard of chakras before or mm -hmm. chakras is that a similar thing to the meridian do they influence each other no. they're connected no, totally different systems. Um, I don't, and I don't actually know that much about the chakra system. Um, those are energetic centers that I think are happening. You know, my understanding of them is they're energetic centers that take place at different levels of the body. Um, the only similarity would be that they're both energetic mm -hmm. systems. Um, other than that, I, I don't know enough about the chakra system to liken it. Um, Chinese medicine is, as you know, based on the organ systems, the five element system, and then the meridians that, you know, are coming, uh, that are correlating to those internal organ systems. Yeah, I think the chakra system is more linked to Ayurveda. I'm, I may yeah. be wrong, but yeah. That's okay. Interesting. Yes. interesting. And yeah, let's talk a bit about the five elements. What does that mean? Um, what should everyone know about this? And how does it affect um, our hormones, our health, our energy, just our overall well-being? Yeah, and so that's a big part of Chinese medicine was uh, when they were forming the language of the medicine and sort of their ideas and understanding how the body works, they were likening a lot of the phenomena that were happening internally to things that were happening externally in the environment. And so you would note things that were uh, windy, you know, have a lot of movement to them, just the same way that wind moves, uh, you know, leaves through the trees, or they would notice uh, that something is swampy and damp, something that is kind of staying still, it's not moving properly, it's accumulating things, things can grow out of it, pathological things can grow out of it. Um, and so a lot of the terminology and the understanding of of what's happening inside the body are, are these, you know, natural occurring environmental things coming to life, both outside and inside. And the elements are a part of that. So the organ systems are actually broken down into, uh, they're all assigned elements and they all have natures to them. They all have certain predispositions, things that they can, uh, situations where they thrive and situations where they maybe can become encumbered. Um, the, the elements in Chinese medicine system are fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. And so the fire element pertains to the heart. Um, the emotion assigned to it would be joy. When it's in balance, it would be sort of a kind of glum or taciturn if it's out of balance. Um, the earth system, incorporates digestion. It's in the center of the body, um, spleen and stomach, and, and a lot of how where digestive function takes place and where we take the energy out of foods and, and turn that into energy that our body can use. Um, when it's in balance, there's a nice solid clarity to the body emotionally. And when it's out of balance, then people can 
you know, they're prone to overwhelm, they're prone to rumination, worrying, running things. It's when you're running something over and over and over in your mind, you're not getting anywhere. Same as if your digestion is not working. Things are coming in and churning and churning, but you're not really extracting the nutrients out of the food. Um, the metal system is the long and large intestine. And so um, the emotions that are tied to that organ system are when they're balanced, it's a healthy taking in and letting go of things the same way that we take air and in and out. Um, when it's, when it's out of balance, there's a problem with letting go. Uh, we see it a lot with grieving, whether you're grieving a situation or a person or just something that you're having trouble letting go of in your life. When the lungs are out of balance, it can be difficult to let things go. Um, the water system is, um, kidneys and bladder and, um, healthy kidney bladder system you know there's a lot there's courage there's uh, clarity of thought where you're going what you need to do there's will there's the strength of will um, when that system is out of balance the emotional downfall is just la lacking in courage very fearful frightful phobias this sort of thing um, and then lastly we have the wood element that pertains to the liver gallbladder system um, when it's when it's strong and healthy and vibrant and there is what they call orderly reaching, which is sort of aspirational, optimistic, aspirational, um, going after what you want, um, having order to things that, that's healthy. Um, and when it's overwhelmed, then you get very, when that system gets, it's prone to stagnation. When that system gets stuck along the way, then you see a lot of frustration. You could see problems with anger, um, you know, very short temper, this sort of a thing. So those are the emotional ties to the organ systems. They also have, of course, their physiological functions. Yeah, and how frequently do you see someone who's perfectly in balance? <laughs> well, I live in New York City, so... Uh, Not really, then. Okay. Yeah. Uh, younger people are, because I think they've had just less time to accumulate <laughs> and, and wear and tear on their body. Um, you do see it. Some people come in and they just really are wanting what they would call like a tune-up to keep their immune system in order during the change of seasons, this sort of thing. Um, so it's not that everyone's walking around a disaster. That's not true at all. Um, but usually there's something to be improved upon. By the time they make it into me, there's usually something to be improved upon. Is there a usual order that these tend to go out of whack? So like one element is usually what you, what you see most, or is it that we all have genetic predispositions or like a, a chink in the armor. So for some people, they're prone to stomach aches. Yes, both. I think you have your genetic predisposition for sure. Um, certain people are just born with maybe, you know, lung problems from the outset when they're little kids and they're prone to lots of infections, that sort of a thing. Um, I tend to see a lot, and you might too in your work, just because of the way that our, the diet is here and maybe they're um, we're hard on our digestive systems here. And so, and of course, once the digestive system, similar to Western medicine, once the digestive system is compromised, then a lot of other systems um, start to fail as well. So I do see a lot of problems that I'm tracking back to the earth element, the spleen stomach, and we really need to fortify that. So then you can go on and make healthy blood and make lots of energy and have strong immune system you know, the way that we would describe it is, you know, the earth is sort of supporting and generating the metal, meaning the digestive system in some ways is supporting and generating the lung system. But in, you know, if you're thinking of how that translates in Western terms, you know, how our immune system kind of does lie in the, in the GI tract and the healthy GI and healthy gut floor and all of that are important for healthy immunity. It, there's a lot of um, overlap and a lot of similarities. They just are described differently in the two systems. Yeah, definitely. Gut health is everything. I think more people are becoming aware of that. Um, and symptom wise, do you tend to um, just go off like physical signs and symptoms or listen to the health history to determine which of these elements is out of whack? Or do you um, do any testing otherwise? Yeah, we don't call for any lab tests. We're happy to see them. I'm happy to see them if somebody's already had them run. I, we don't use the lab tests um, to determine our treatment plan in Chinese medicine. Sometimes it's fun and useful to have the labs just so that we can sort of see the progress report as we go along, but we don't use them diagnostically the same way Western medicine does. We're really using it's uh, entirely the person's own subjective experience and objectively signs that you can pick up from the body. So that we do go through the whole health history. Um, and it's, you know, the, maybe with yours, it's the same way you go through a pretty lengthy conversation. You're really covering all areas of the person's life, digestion, sleep, 
cycles, you name it, no matter what they're coming in for, because we don't see anything as a sort of singular event for the most part. Um, and then objectively, we're looking at the body. Maybe you're feeling for temperatures of different channels. You're looking at the tongue. You're feeling the pulses. You're hearing the voice. There's some abdominal palpation or channel palpation. All these sorts of things can, you know, the body's always giving us information. And so we put all of that together in a picture to sort of determine the pattern that we see. And then we apply a treatment, whether it's acupuncture or herbs, um, to correct that pattern. What are some of the biggest things that can influence the five elements so you mentioned gut health so maybe poor diet is one of them what are some yeah. of the other common drivers yeah um well emotional stress is a huge um disruptor for the wood element for the liver gallbladder system and sometimes it's chicken or egg if somebody has sort of a dis <laughs> they have disharmony in their um their their wood element, then they might be more prone to short temper and frustration. But likewise, if somebody's been under an enormous amount of stress, maybe they have a very high pressure work or they're, um, they're you know, just living in a city that's very energetic and very go, 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 all of that can emotionally constrain the system. And so I see a lot of stagnation patterns that are affecting the, the liver gallbladder system. I see a lot of encumbered spleens and <laughs> where the the diet has just been lots of you know we we like our foods warm and cooked in Chinese medicine it's an important part of um, digestive health is to make digestion easy and and encumbering some a system that should be warm and up and running and kind of like a cooking pot on the stove when you're pouring lots of ice water and ice cream and very cold very raw foods into the cooking pot it sort of slows down the function so I see a lot of things starting with digestion um, and then just things like people who are drinking too much coffee you know, they're having several cups of coffee in the course of a day. We see that start to affect the heart system, you know, and just the, the way that it affects the nervous system and people get a little jazzy and a little uh, almost anxious, but it's really just the effects of the coffee are going straight to the heart and jazzing them up a little bit too much. Um, sometimes people are overworked. This can really draw on the kidney system. If you're just not getting enough sleep, you're go, 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 you're working all the time, then, this, then the kidneys are gonna start to lose their battery pack power and we're gonna start to see things with the kidney system fail. Um, so those are some of the big ones that I tend to see working with health and working in the city. Yeah, yeah. so I think you've described every person living in New York City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Based on those things. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, that's spreading to the UK and other places as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, not great and it's having an impact on our health um which isn't fun and we're going to talk a bit more about nutrition later on but just before i forget with the cooked and warming foods if someone has like a really hot condition i, I know again i'm relating back to like ayurvedic i get mm. to um i kind of com confuse the two sometimes but they say people with like acne or inflammatory mm -hmm. conditions it's good to cool the body down would you still avoid the cold foods even in that situation? Yes, because they differentiate between cold natured and cold temperature. So something that, that there is true, there's temperature balancing. So if somebody has a lot of heat in their system and you might see that in like, yes, an acne or reflux or hot flashes or something like that. In that case, you want to stay away from foods that are hot natured and that would be you know coffee alcohol spicy foods this sort of thing but that's not referring to the temperature you would still take in foods that have a have a warm or a slightly okay. temperature and you don't want to cook in, you know the nutrition out of them you just want that enzymatic process started a little bit so very light steam or a very uh you know quick blanching or something like that yeah great and if someone is looking for an acupuncturist um, in the US, we'll start off with it. Are there any resources or any websites that they can search for someone who's maybe more holistic trained like yourself? Yes, to get um, somebody who has NCCOM, that's our certifying board that's national, state to state, there are different ways and different um, uh, requirements for licensure, but in general, the NCCOM is the is the certification board that's across the. It means that you've gone to an accredited school, you've passed all of your board exams, you have a working knowledge of the medicine, um, and they have a website nccaom.org that you can search for practitioners by zip code, by area. And I, I think it's a good resource, and it will tell you what you know that they have their licensure, how long they've been practicing, all of this. 
Great. And are you aware of anything else like worldwide, any other resources? I'm going to um, ask my practitioner to let me know um, and I'll link that in the resources for UK based people. But are there any like websites that you can think of? I don't of? have any worldwide ones to okay. be honest. Yeah, it might be each individual country has mm. their own sort of um, requirements. Yeah. I yeah, I'll have a look for the UK in particular and um, link that in the show notes as well for everyone. Yeah. And have there been any scientific studies on acupuncture? So there's a lot of things that we know are beneficial to health with herbs and nutrition and foods, but they haven't been studied because who's going to fund like broccoli having right. a study? So is it the same with acupuncture or has that had some more research behind it? Yeah, which I think it's more running into that issue with the Chinese herbs because there's no money to be made in herbs. You can't patent them. You know, they're naturally occurring. And so there really is no money to be made there. And so we'll, at least in the U.S., we're not finding a ton of research with herbs. In China, you can find a lot if you can, you know, translate the studies. Um, with acupuncture, though, they, they're doing more and more research because you know, it's always the bottom line, the insurance, you know, and unfortunately things are still dictated largely by insurance. So thing, if they're finding that acupuncture is the more effective, both in terms of the results that it gets and more cost effective, then it's going to be covered more and more. And we're seeing that, yes, they're doing lots of research studies now. Um, you know, originally a lot of the research was about pain, you know, doing uh, studies on low back pain, uh, osteoarthritis of the knees, headaches and migraines. Um, those were some of the earliest things that were covered by insurance because the research was so uh, positive. Um, the acupuncture groups were getting really good results. Um, now it's started to branch out. So a cut, like in terms of women's health and fertility, um, hormones, um, quite a while ago now you had a, a few original studies coming out and they were able to have a control group because they were doing studies with women going through IVF. And control groups are, are a big issue with Chinese medicine because it is so individualized. You have so many different things contributing to a problem, and you also have a lot of different ways to address those. So coming up with a clear protocol that is repeatable and that you have a control group that's in a very similar situation, that's been a challenge along the way. Um, but they, they did start doing, you know, trying to come up with some ways to establish control groups and IVF seemed like a really good one. And so in some of the early research studies, they were showing that the pregnancy rates were higher in acupuncture groups versus non-acupuncture groups for women who were going through IVF uh, with their transfers. Um, and that sort of begged the question, well, why? How is it helping? So then they started doing some research. Um, they need things that are immeasurable, right? Because they can't say, oh, it's just the gene blood are, <laughs> are better in that person or uh, their organ systems are balanced like that doesn't fly they need something very measurable so uh, so they started measuring the blood flow and circulation coming through the uterine lining and they were finding that acupuncture groups versus non-acupuncture groups were showing increased blood flow increased circulation coming through the lining making it more receptive to implantation um, they've also done some studies with PCOS um, and ovulatory PCOS showing that regular acupuncture could reinstate the cycle and you know promote ovulation and reinstate the cycle also having effects on um, insulin resistance and helping to increase insulin um, receptivity um, they've also done some I'm trying to stick to the women's health and hormone balancing things they've done um, some studies for uh, menopausal symptoms hot flashes in particular they, they very specifically studied and showed acupuncture groups were seeing really really positive results in lowering the frequency and intensity of hot flashes um, and a lot of premenstrual symptoms have been studied as well so particularly things like uh, painful periods cramping, but also the discomforts that can, that can precede the period, whether it's um, headaches or bloating, uh, poor moods, all of these sorts of things were, were shown to actually incredibly improve or completely disappear in acupuncture groups when they've studied it. Well, yeah, so interesting. And how much, with these benefits, how much of it do you think is the stress management, the fact that they're coming in, they're being heard, they're being listened to, they're lying on a bed with some candles around them for mm -hmm. a period of time versus the physiological changes, maybe like supporting detoxification mm -hmm. and supporting the nervous system. I know it's hard to give like a number, which do you yeah, think is most important? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, I think that our emotional lives are very much linked to our physical lives. Chinese medicine does not differentiate the two. So I think that somebody 
you know, as far as how stress, we know how much stress can affect the body negatively and how uh, managing that stress can really clear up a lot of health conditions. So just addressing that alone, aside from anything else, the fact that you're coming in, you're having a nervous system reset and you're, uh, you're able to, yeah, rest for a little bit. You have somebody care about you. <laughs> Maybe you don't have other people in your life you can talk to about whatever it is that's ailing you. Um, I think that all of that's important. Um, but it, uh, but there are very real, concrete, physiological benefits, you know, that uh, that are aside from the emotional. And when we do um, acupuncture for animals, for example, um, veterinary acupuncture is gaining popularity, and and they don't really have a predisposed thought about what's going on, or is it here to help me, or what's it supposed to do. When we just start to see that their effects on improving, um, they do a lot for. You know, dogs who have arthritis in the hips, for example, or just pain conditions in general, that they respond very favorably to acupuncture. And so I think that that's an interesting note that like, here's a, here's a being that has no expectation of what's going on, either negative or positive. They're just, they're receiving needles. They're not sure why, or maybe they are, I don't know. Um, but they're really reaping the benefits. Yeah. There's no placebo going on with an animal. We can guarantee that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> And then I just want to go through some of these common women's health issues, like we've mentioned some of them and how you would treat, I don't know if you use that word, the, the individual, bearing in mind that everyone's pretty different, but if you could just give us like a basic, um, maybe some basic points that you'd be focusing on in the body, what they do, maybe mm -hmm. some diet and lifestyle things that you'd recommend to that person as well. And mm -hmm. some of these probably go hand in hand too. So just, you can steer the conversation. We'll start off with infertility. Mm -hmm. What would you do with someone who's maybe in her late thirties, they've been trying for several years, um, no real other health issues, but it's just um, struggling to conceive. Yeah. And again, everything um, is pattern differentiated. So we would, she would have her come in and we'd go through her health history and see what is going on. Um, there's always going to be a pattern, even if she doesn't have a Western diagnosis, quote unquote, or she doesn't have anything that's concrete that's showing up on labs. There's always going to be some kind of pattern going on that can be improved upon or corrected. And so um, in the case of infertility, you know, if it's due to, you know, age related, you know, we're just seeing less in terms of um, vitality of the hormonal shifts and uh, maybe there's a question about egg quality, these sorts of things, then we're looking to really nourish this person. You know, sometimes it's a person who maybe she's been an avid exerciser and she is really keeps herself very thin and she has a very intense job. And so she's kind of like depleted her resources in some ways. And so follicles and blood and all of these things that pertain to fertility are, are resources and we just want to rebuild them. We want to, you know, fill the cooking pot back up. And so the, the foods, if she has a lot of what we would say, maybe blood deficiency or yin deficiency, like the state of the fluids in the blood is a little bit thin or a little bit lacking, then we would be wanting to uh, nourish the blood, nourish the fluids uh, with diet. We're going to be um, suggesting animal proteins that's and bone broths. Those are probably the two uh, most powerful foods for rebuilding the blood. Um, Chlorophyll-rich foods, um, you know, your Swiss chard and kale and bok choy and all of these, preferably cooked, um, are nice blood builders. Um, nourishing the yin of the body, which is the substance of the body, the things that create moisture and create fluids and blood and all of these things um, with essential fatty acid rich foods. So your coconut and your avocado and your walnuts and salmon and olives and all these kind of oily, nice, rich fatty foods. These are all going to be nourishers as well. So we're largely nourishing, making sure that nothing's getting stuck along the way. There are herbal formulas as well that you could, um, you know, that are standard, just sort of blood building firm formulas. We're working a lot with kidneys and liver, as, as you know, those systems show up a lot in fertility issues. So making sure that the liver system is keeping things moving smoothly. And when that's the case, then the hormones go through their cycles smoothly and they don't get caught up along the way. You don't get symptoms at mid-cycle or before the periods. Um, you're actually having ovulations. Um, if you're you know, measuring something on a Western test, you know, maybe they're coming in with a slightly elevated FSH and we can actually see that lower when we start nourishing them and giving their body more materials to work with, more, more resources to build things out of, um, then we actually start to see that number um, go down if it's elevated. Hmm. And I think this similar treatment plan would be with amenorrhea, so missing periods, so warming foods, blood building, improving stagnation in the area. Is there anything else that you'd focus on with the amenorrhea? 
Um, yeah, you'd want to determine, and sometimes it's a combo, is it more because they're deficient, they just don't have enough blood for a period, or is it because it's getting stuck somewhere along the way, it's just not moving? Sometimes they have plenty of blood, it's just something has stuck, the system is stuck along the way, and so it's just not coming and going as it should. And sometimes it's a combination of both. Sometimes things get stuck because there's not enough of it. Um, and so if it's, if there's a deficiency case, you know, then you, same thing, you're going to be applying all those same blood building and yin building principles. If it's a more of a stagnation case, then you're going to apply formulas and treatment that get, that open up circulation and get things moving again so that the, the system can unblock. And I think people tend to think of um, Chinese culture as being more vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned more animal protein do you see a lot of people who are following vegan diets fall into some of these issues? I do actually. Yeah. Sometimes. And it's, it's always funny. They go hand in hand. My, my marathoners and people who are doing lots and lots of exercise are also following vegan diets and, and their periods just go right away. I mean, it's, it's ubiquitous. So the first thing is if they're open to it, different, you know, people are on vegan diets for different reasons. So you always want to respect where somebody's coming from. But if they're, if you can see that their constitution would really benefit from animal products, it's very obvious and they're open to it. then sometimes that's the only modification that needs to happen. I've had people who literally reintroduced some meat back into their life and their periods just started, just started right back up. It was, it was that simple. Um, it's not always so simple, but it just showed like how strong of a correlation, what you're eating and how that's affecting your hormonal health. Definitely. And you mentioned some terms along the way now, like qi or chi. Some people pronounce that differently. Yin yes. and yang. Yes. Can you just give us an overview of all of those? Yeah. So yin and yang are the basic, it's the basic balancing principle of, of Chinese medicine and also of the world and of life, some people would say, yang being a more active energy, it's in charge of function, it's a little bit warmer in nature, it's in charge of getting things moving, getting things done. Yin, it pertains more to substance, it's more about matter, it's more about things that um, you can touch and feel and structures. And so everything is, everything is both, our bodies certainly are. You have things that are yin, which are gonna be um, blood, fluids, the actual organs, all of these things would pertain to the yin category. And then yang is going to be the function that, that makes things work. So you have your digestive system has materials in it, and then you have the power of the yang that comes through and creates digestive function, peristalsis, and enzymatic breakdown of things. Um, so they're always working together. You always have to have enough substance. Um, to to create and grow things and have materials to make things out of and then you have to have enough yang to apply function to those things so that the systems are working if either one of those is a little bit low then we're going to start to see uh, imbalances do you ever relate those as well to feminine and masculine energy yeah, the yang would be the masculine yeah. energy and the yin would be the feminine. Um, yin is going to be more receptive. Yang is going to be more outgoing. Yang is pertaining to, you know, daylight and sunshine and, um, and, and upward movement of things. And then the yin is going to be more, it's going to be heavier. It's going to be more pertaining to the nighttime, um, the moon, the water, you know, things that are a little bit heavier and have a little bit more substance. Mm -hmm. And I think like the modern woman, I think you've described like nonstop, maybe a working mom trying to build a business and hustle and grind and build an empire. And women can do that. Like, it's great that we have that. Um, we can be as productive as men and as successful as men these days. But I think we're losing a lot of the feminine energies as well. And I see I work a lot with PCOS and I've said it mm -hmm. a few times, like women with PCOS tend to be more in the masculine, not just mm -hmm. with the blood work and the physiology, but also the um, emotional health and the mindset is more mm -hmm. masculine. Do you see that too? You know, I had never thought of it that way. Um, it's interesting that you say that. I think there is something to that, actually. Um, there are different PCOS types that I see. Um, definitely what we would call the stagnation type um, PCOS where they're not necessarily having problems with weight gain and these sorts of things, but they're not ovulating. The hormones are out of whack. Maybe they do have slightly elevated um, testosterone. Um, and there is, and they are usually very um, high powered. Um, okay. Driven. Yeah. Lots of exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, go away because there's too much exercise. Um, 
So that's an interesting correlation. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, I think because I have PCOS as well, and I definitely realized, and I what I own my own business, so I'm trying to like grow that, but I also have to take into consideration like rest and just relax now, turn off the laptop, turn off the phones, go to sleep, maybe go to a dance class every now and again and just like connect with that feminine energy. And yeah, I've just found that to be a big correlation. So very interesting there. Well, and it's, and I think that's actually, you're hitting on something that's huge that we probably are seeing in the big cities, um, especially is that when somebody's struggling with something like infertility, the, the want is to do something about it. They want to take action about it. What can I do? What can I eat? You know, what herbal formula are we going to do? They want to be very proactive about it. Sometimes the best thing for them to do is to actually rest. <laughs> and it's the one thing that it's the one bit of advice that they have trouble taking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you actually just need two hours more sleep every night. Yeah. That's a huge thing <laughs> that's difficult for them to take in. And they're like, oh, well, I don't know about that. Like I'll do <laughs> things and I'll come to treatment and I'll do this and that, but I don't know about all this sleep you want me to be yeah. getting. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. Um, so yes, I think that the, and that would be the feminine part of needing to balance out the feminine is that the rest is just as important as all the things that you're actively and proactively doing about your fertility. Definitely. And I've had, I have clients like that as well. They're like, what diet, what food can I take out? What pill can I take? Cause they're the easy things and they don't mm-hmm. want to go and um, turn off the the devices in the in the evening turn down the blue light have an early night because it seems so simple and it seems like it's not going to work but usually Mm -hmm. are the most effective things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people are trying to do all the research themselves they'll come home from work and then they'll stay on um, instagram and reading blog posts all night long and reading articles trying to figure out their health issues Yes. when they're trying to do a good thing it it can actually become more of a negative as well so I love that you've said that like be proactive but also then like trust in the process trust the universe and give it time be patient yes yeah yes. and then on the nutrition side is there anything else that you want to mention in terms of nutrition like any key foods for women's health bearing in mind again everyone's quite different yeah, it will depend on their constitution. Like I wouldn't say blanketly, like everyone needs to stay away from dairy because that's not necessarily true. Some people do fine with dairy and it's not a problem for them. Um, uh, but if we see that they have, you know, for example, dampness in their comp- in their constitution and um, they have a lot of accumulations and their digestion is just, it's just really not up and running. And we see that they have a really puffy or a wet tongue um, or their pulses are very, what we would call soggy, have a soggy quality to them and so we we can see that their body is sort of having trouble with this with processing fluids and processing things that have a lot of substance to them and so dairy in that case would would not agree with them and they'll feel much better if they remove it that would also be something like soy which has a very like heavy murky quality to it chinese um perspective is always looking at the nature of foods um, not just you know does it have this vitamin or that protein but really like what is the nature of the food and how is it going to assimilate in your particular body um, same thing some people are okay with a, some coffee each day you know they do find it it doesn't really affect them negatively um, a lot of people I think are drinking too much coffee um, but if you get the person who has a little bit of heat in their constitution they already are tending towards a little bit of anxiety or insomnia or you know maybe they do get some breakouts or they run really warm then that particular person really should bring the coffee out um, so you want to look at the constitution and what's going to work best with it um, the generalities are the ones that we went over just having warm cooked foods having very nutrient-dense foods including animal proteins and healthy fats into the diet would all be the very you know those are going to be pretty blanket recommendations for any of my fertility patients. Are there any foods that you just say to avoid completely for everyone? Like processed foods or trans fats or is there 80 20 going on with that? I prefer 80-20 because I think people can, I think extreme anything is, is its own problem. Um, some people, if they have straight up intolerances that are very obvious, like they, they have a gluten intolerance or something like this, then yes, just remove it. Like we, it's not doing you any favors. It's not value added to your constitution. So just remove it. Um, but 
And, and same thing with, um, you know, processed foods. Everybody's going to do a lot better if they're eating whole real foods that, that, are, that come out of the ground and are not some manufactured with chemicals and a plant. So I'd say that's a pretty obvious blanket recommendation. But I also don't want to, people to feel like I'm depriving myself of so many things. That just adds to the stress. You know, they're trying so hard to be healthy that then they're stressed out by all of the confines of their healthy living. So I'd say for the most part, unless they have a, you know, an hour or an intolerance that's really wreaking havoc in their system and they just need to cut it out entirely, then, um, you know, have a glass of wine here or there. Just don't come home and have two glasses every single night. Um, you know, have a cup of coffee on the weekends, but don't have two cups of coffee every single morning. You know, be reasonable about it. Exactly. And it needs to be something that they can sustain and build a lifestyle around, not a six weeks um, plan oh. protocol and then they go back to normal. Yeah, great. Oh. And in terms of herbal medicine, TCM herbs, are there any commonly used women's health herbs that you recommend to clients or patients? And just give us maybe the names of some of them and what they could be useful for. Yeah, so um, Chinese uh, herbalism is always, the herbs are never used as single herbs. They're always combined together in formulas, which is a difference from Western herbalism, where I think they will use single herbs as particular remedies. So we're always looking at combinations of herbs that work together in a certain dynamic to affect change. So I'd say, you know, a very commonly used, it's almost considered passe amongst practitioners. You know, it's like, oh, you're just using this really common formula. It would be something, it's called Jiawei Shaoyasan um, or Shaochaihutong. These are both really commonly used formulas that affect that liver gallbladder system and help um, the Jiawei Shaoyasan harmonizes the liver system together with the spleen stomach system, nourishes the middle, um, and then and nourishes the blood, and then it simultaneously keeps the liver system moving smoothly. So it's used really commonly for a lot of premenstrual disorders. Um, when we see little hiccups as people are going through their cycle, um, then you can apply one of these types of formulas, which are in the Shaoyang category of like a liver gallbladder disharmony, and we see those disharmonies a lot with hormonal dysfunction. Um, for digestion, uh, there's a very popular formula. It's a classical formula called Lijiang Wan, and that's really herbs that are nourishing and tonifying the middle. They're helping if there's a little dampness in the system, it's helping the body improve its um, water metabolism, and it's really fortifying the digestive function and your body's ability to break things down and draw nutrients out of your food. Um, so I use that one a lot if we're just seeing really you know, straightforward digestive weakness or fatigue in the middle. Um, there are some kidney formulas. Um, Jingwei Shenshiwan is a really commonly used formula. It has a lot of what we call yin nourishers. So these are medicinals that are kind of like the essential fatty acids of the, of the herb world. They're going to really heavily nourish the fluids of the body, nourish the kidneys. The kidneys are the sort of reproductive battery pack of the system. So you have that fire coming from the kidneys and that's warming and creating a lot of function in, in the reproductive system. And then you have the liver who's going around moving things around, keeping things um, in their correct order and all the systems sort of do work and play together. But um, sometimes there's just this really deep um, fatigue in the battery pack. And so something like a Jingwei Shenshiwan where you're applying these yin nourishing medicinals together with a key, a few key yang medicinals, um, it's a nice balance because you're giving the body some substance to uh, give it more building blocks to make things out of. And you're also applying the herbs that will allow, give that function. So you're putting the materials into the cooking pot and then you're lighting the fire under it and you have both to just, you know, sort of in a very balanced way, build up the bodies, both the bodies yin and yang. Mm -hmm. And you'll have to send me the names of all of those because there's no way I'm going to remember them. So, yeah, yeah. To us. yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I will. <laughs> and then I'll link them in the show notes. I would discourage anyone from self-prescribing. Yeah, yeah, I was going to uh, say. They think it sounds applicable to them. They really do want to see an herbalist because this is a very simplified conversation and an and herbalist is going to really go through the diagnostic uh, procedures to apply the perfect formula. There's, there are hundreds of formulas, hundreds and hundreds of them. So you really want one that matches you and your constitution perfectly to get really good results. Absolutely. So I'll link the names and then go and speak to a qualified practitioner who can decide whether that's the right thing for you. Yeah. yeah. 
I always say that don't self-treat people you'll end up making issues worse <laughs> oh my gosh I see it all the time people come in and they're like I read about this formula I want to take it because it did this for this person and and it's just or they'll is sometimes I'll have I'll be treating more than one person and they know each other and they're like well you gave so-and-so this yeah. formula, and they good, so I want that formula <laughs> I just say, well, it's good for them. And now this formula is good for you. Um, that's always key to remember. Yeah, that's not how it works, unfortunately. Yeah. And are there a few tongue, nail and face signs that we can quickly talk about? So common things that you see, maybe a few on each one. Yeah, I'd say the main thing with nails for for us is if they are very dry and brittle, it's a pretty key sign of blood deficiency. So, and that goes the same, that's the same for hair. If somebody has a lot of brittle, dry hair that's breaking off or falling out, mm -hmm. then that is, tra we're tracking that back to the quality of the blood in the body. We start nourishing the blood and then the hair and the nails can grow in with strength. Um, the tongue is probably the most, other than the pulse and the abdomen, the tongue is very widely used for diagnosis. And it's pretty obvious when people start looking at their own tongues, they'll see like, oh yeah, my tongue is super puffy and has all these teeth marks around it. And I do have some problems with my digestion. Or maybe they'll see that they have underneath, they'll see some sublingual veins are very distended and dark. And, and that would be a blood stagnation, localized blood stagnation sign. And, we'll, and they also suffer from yeah, menstrual cramps or something like this. Um, some people have very like, you know, scarlet, red, red, red tongues. And they are also suffering from heat issues, whether it's hot flashes or, or reflux or acne or something like that. Um, Sometimes people have very tiny tongues. They're very short. They're very thin. They're very small. They can barely, you know, come out of the mouth when you ask them to show you. Um, and that would be, you know, a kind of a classic yin deficiency sign. Like there's just not enough substance in the body. And so you see that reflected in a very, very sort of tiny tongue and they, they need some nourishment. Yeah. Yeah. People forget like these things are organs. So our skin is an organ. Our tongue is part of the digestive system. So any imbalances can really reflect on the outside. They're not like a, a diagnosis. So when I do this with clients, I'm not like diagnosing them with an issue. Um, just based on that, I combine it with health history, current symptoms and paint a picture. Yeah. Yeah. I, in fact, I, and some practitioners will like take the pulse first and get an idea of what they think is happening and then let the person fill in. Um, I do it the opposite way. I actually want to understand what the person's experience is. And then I use my more objective measures to put what they're experiencing into a, into a clearer picture and be able to explain what they're experiencing with what I'm seeing. And because um, you can have, you know, a red tongue alone doesn't mean that the person's running around feeling hot all the time. Um, it would be interesting if they're experiencing no heat signs, but then they have a very red tongue and you have to go in and kind of figure out, oh, well, what's that about? You know, what's going on there? And tell us a bit about the pulses. By that, you don't just mean like, what's your heart rate? There's like right. different pulses as well, isn't there? Yes, there are different pulses and there are three positions you feel the pulse at and, and sort of two levels within those three positions. Um, so, so you're actually feeling 12 pulses ultimately, which sounds really outrageous to some people. And while you do note the rate, because some people have a particularly fast pulse or a particularly slow pulse, those can indicate things. You're also feeling for the quality of pulse. So some people might have a very big uh, rapid pulse. Other people have a very thin, thready pulse. Some people have a very, it's called like a bowstring or kind of a, a tightness to their pulse. And all of these things will usually reflect how that person is feeling. The really thready pulse person, we might see a lot of blood deficiency signs in them. They're very slight. They need to gain a little bit of weight. They tend to be a little bit dry. They're a little bit anxious. Um, sometimes the people with the soggy pulse, um, you know, there's, it just, it's kind of mushy under your fingers. And this is the person who maybe has a lot of fatigue in their center and their digestion is very sluggish. They have problems with fluid metabolism. Um, they're emotionally, they're prone to overwhelm and worry. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how the pulses are matching what they're experiencing. Yeah. And then before we finish up now, I wanted to ask you a few more questions just about you personally, so yeah. we can know how you stay healthy um, so the first one is, what's your go-to breakfast? So I like warm breakfasts. Um, I definitely, that's always my preference when I have time for it. I, and I'll cook some, if I'm cooking something, 
I think the easiest, fastest thing to cook is just some eggs, since I don't have any intolerances to eggs, because I know it's a tricky food for some people, but they agree with me. And so for me, it's an easy way to have a nourishing, warm breakfast. I do eggs with a couple of slices of avocado and, uh, and then usually some bacon on the side. Yeah. <laughs> kind of traditional, yeah. Sounds good to me. And you're not, so I'm guessing you're not like an ice cold fruit smoothie kind of gal. Not at all. And <laughs> before I even knew, because I have, you know, I think in my own patterns, a long history with sort of fatigue in my middle. And so I organically was never drawn to that. I'm not an ice cream for dessert kind of mm -hmm. a person. I've sort of organically have stayed away from that. And now I understand why, that it actually yeah. you know, agree with me. So I actually do crave warm foods, cooked foods when I'm drinking. I'm never drinking like a big, tall ice water. I'm usually drinking a nice warm tea or something to, it feels much more nourishing for me. Same here. And is there one herb, food, nutrient or supplement that you couldn't live without? Oh, you know what I prescribe a lot, even though it's not a Chinese herb, is and I take it myself religiously, is magnesium. Mm -hmm. I love it. I use yeah. it for all kinds of things. You, I'm sure you do. Um, most people need it to some degree, and I just, I think it's just, <laughs> it's a miracle in a pill. <laughs> yeah, that's it's the most common, that's the most common answer that I get on here, and I always say I don't usually recommend supplements and things just on podcasts like this, but magnesium's mm -hmm. a pretty safe one most people will benefit most people are deficient so yeah. i agree with that and i take that religiously as well yeah yeah and probiotics too some people a lot True. of that gets a little bit trickier but um uh, a lot of people can use some probiotics if they depending on what their health history is mm -hmm. do you have any favorite brands that you personally recommend I like the brand I go to is my go-to brand is Pure, Pure Encapsulations. Yeah. I don't know if you have that there. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so that's my go-to. I think they have very clean products and have very effective products. Um, I like their magnesium a lot because it's encapsulated. It's not a tablet, it's a capsule. So it's very, you know, big, sometimes magnesium can be big, chalky mm -hmm. tablets and I hate that. So uh, anything that comes in a capsule form, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I use that one as well. And is there something that you're into lately? So it can be health and wellness related. It can be something completely random, but is there something that you're loving and you want to share? Huh. So, well, personally I'm into for fun. I'm into mountain biking lately Okay. Cool. because it's nature and it gets me moving. And, and because it's a very, um, it's an activity that when you're doing it, you can only think about that. Like there's nothing mm. else enter your mind you have to be paying 100% attention and I love that um I just well like currently I just started the newest um Joe Dispenza book it's um now I can't remember the title it's basically about quantum healing and how thoughts affect uh, material manifestations in the body and I and that a lot clinically so I'm interested to read more about his take on it yeah I love his books I've not heard I didn't know he'd release a new one so I have to go straight and look into that one for myself Great. oh becoming supernatural that's the name of it oh yeah. right yeah perfect and on the subject of either acupuncture or TCM is there a book or resource that you can recommend just like an intro level for yeah. people listening yeah, there are two actually. The, the, and one of them is the one that I read right before I decided to start Chinese medicine school. And it's called Between Heaven and Earth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, Between Heaven and Earth is probably my top choice. And then there's another one called The Web That Has No Weaver by Ted Chapchuk. Um, Kapchuk, I think is his last name. Um, those would be two nice, you know, intro to Chinese medicine. They explain the general theory. They explain organ systems. They explain yin and yang and, and all of this. Perfect. And I think this whole episode has inspired a lot of people to try it out or get back into it like myself on a more regular basis. How, how often is it that's recommended? I know that sometimes starting off, it needs to be more frequently. Yes, yeah, so if you have something very acute happening, like mm. acute pain or, or, you know, cycle imbalances that need to be corrected, you definitely want to go in no less than once a week, sometimes twice a week, at least for a couple of weeks to get the ball rolling. Once things start coming back into balance, then we'll usually start spreading out the treatment. So if somebody's in very acute pain, they come in twice a week for maybe two weeks, three weeks, something like that, then they still have some pain, it's not totally gone, then we'll go to once a week, and then once they're pain-free, um, if it's just an acute condition and it's corrected, then that's done, they're done with their course of treatment. If it's more chronic issue that's gonna need some attention in an ongoing way, then I'd say once it's under control, people will often pop in, you know, once a month or something like that for tune-ups to keep um, 
to keep more chronic or recurrent conditions under control. Yeah. And I've had like a trapped nerve in my neck before and I've just had a needle in there for a few minutes and it sorted it right out. So it can be powerful stuff. Yes. Yes. Especially for those musculoskeletal things. It's just like a tight muscle. You can you go in and release those. And sometimes that's the end of it. And it's just when it's so quick and easy like that, it's really fun for everybody. <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, the people who are listening, who are really dialed in with the nutrition, the exercising, they're taking the supplements, but still are having some issues. Maybe it's worth looking into more of these physical practices with acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I'm ever in New York, I'm going to come straight to your office and book in for a session because yeah, you really know your stuff. And this episode has been really great. I'm sure people are going to have loved it. So if you can tell us a bit more about where we can find you online or if someone's near to um, New York City, how they can find you. Yeah, and my practice, I have a practice right sort of in the middle of New York City in the Flatiron neighborhood. Um, and the the practice name is Ren Wellness, which is R-E-N wellness.com. My name is Kimberly Kelly. Um, but they can go to renwellness.com. That's my website. It has some information about the practice and a little bit more explanation about Chinese medicine. Um, if they're following on social media, at Ren Wellness is the handle for both um, Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on the Homeless in Harmony podcast today. And it was great to connect with you, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Homeless in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode. 